This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today's topic is the investor's journey. So, through our lives, we all go through different phases, and money plays a role in each of those different phases. So today, Julie Chadwick, financial planner at Stirk Financial Services, and I are going to talk a little bit about what some of those phases are and some key things that you might want to just be aware of when it comes to utilizing money at these different phases in your journey. Some of the things you might be aware of and some of them you might not be. Exactly. (laughs) So let's dive right in. So when you think about the first, I guess, really big phase in somebody's life when it comes to money, I would say that's getting your first real job. Right. Sometimes you're working just for the chores around the house, but sometimes it really comes to when it's your job, your first paycheck. Exactly. And along with that first job often comes a set of benefits. And this is probably the first time that you would have ever dealt with anything in the benefits world. So you're going to be exposed to things like health insurance, group life insurance, and of course, the Mac Daddy of them all, your first 401k. I remember back when that was first, uh, I was first exposed to that and I was like, okay, this is a big deal. Now what do I do with it? (laughs) I really liked that thing that was the match. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Like, oh, if I put money in, they're going to put money in. This is awesome. That I understood really well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then I realized, oh, wait, I don't get that really until I'm 59 and a half. I feel like that's a long time away. (laughs) Then it really wasn't that exciting anymore. (laughs) Exactly. But the thing about starting your first 401k is that the very best advice we can give is to make sure that you actually do maximize it. And when I say maximize it, I mean that at this very initial step in your investor journey, making sure you do put in enough of your own money to capture the match from that employer. It's free money. It's your money. And it's something that can build and grow for you over time. And the impact of the match and your early contributions in terms of what they can create in the long run for you in your life is really kind of magnificent. Right. So if your company's out there saying they're matching 3%, then you at least better be putting in 3% of your own. Exactly. All right. A next step in an investor's journey frequently is getting married. Now, some people delay, delay this until later of life. Some people never do this. But getting married is often a really big step in somebody's investment journey. And it's funny to think about marriage as part of a money conversation. But the truth is that much of the discussion in a marriage surrounds money because of what money is providing for your family. So I would say that one of the best tips that we can give for someone that's in that stage of their investor journey and is getting married is to make sure you're having money conversations with your prospective spouse. Right. You want to know and understand if they're savers, if they're spenders, you know, what their money history kind of was, because that's going to all encompass what you do together. Right. And here's the thing is that you grew up with your own money experiences and your prospective spouse grew up with theirs. They are not the same. And so what that means is that you bring different experiential experiential viewpoints to the marriage and what you think is normal and right about money. So most of the time we see one saver and one spender. 
That's usually why it works. <laughs> yes. It's a balance. Somebody has to be a saver for it to work well. <laughs> Sometimes when we see two spenders and you can see that there's going to be kind of an issue. But one saver, one spender oftentimes um, seems to be a good balance for people. When we see two savers, then those people really do a great job of, you know, setting back money and buying things on pace and different things like that. But the main thing is to have those money conversations. I think they say that the biggest fights in marriage are about... About money. Family, <laughs> kids, money, things like that. So if you can avoid some of those fights just by having good conversations ahead of time, that's really going to be in your favor. Okay, Julie, so tell us about what the next thing is in the investor's journey. The next big journey after, let's say, you're getting married and you've talked about the money, now what are you going to do? you got to buy the home. So that's it's the right. first home. <laughs> the first time home purchase. And that's going to be a big portion of your money. You're going to be looking at a big mortgage payment. Right. Now, there are some good standard tips about your mortgage payment. And really what you want to try to do is keep your payment at or below 28% of your net so whatever you and your spouses, or if it's just you, whatever your income is, your net income, you really don't want to spend more than 28% of that on housing. And you may look at that and think, boy, that's not going to buy me the type of place that I want. And that's okay. When you're just starting out, it makes sense to go down a little bit, make sure you've got your cash flow working for you before you start to upgrade things like your home. Right. And a lot of times people will go to the bank and the bank will maybe allow them more. And they think, well, the bank's allowing me that. Maybe I right. should maximize all that. <laughs> Not always the best idea. So it's self-discipline and making sure you're staying within those boundaries. It's going to help you be successful. Yes. Do not let the bank dictate how much you're going to spend. You should make that decision ahead of time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So you've made it this far in your investor journey. And guess what? About this time, most people now have their first significant job change. So time to get a different job, maybe a job that has bigger paycheck, better benefits and things like that. And guess what you're going to be faced with? A decision of what to do with your old 401k. So you've been doing really good with that 401k and you've been keeping the company match and you've been putting money away. So you built a pretty good nest egg there. Now that you're moving to a new job, people always struggle with Maybe it's not big enough to worry about rolling over or right. should I just cash mm -hmm. it out? You know, what? What are the, what's the best thing for me to do? I see a lot of people make that mistake early on in their lives. They think, oh, this is only a few thousand dollars or it's eight or ten thousand dollars. It's not really going to make that much difference in the long run. But the truth is that it does. The compounding interest that it's going to grow at is significantly high. Plus, the fact that if you cash it in before retirement age, you're giving up almost half of it to taxes anyway and penalties. Exactly. So think about it this way. There is a fun rule that's called the rule of 72. And this is my favorite rule because it's all about how fast money can double. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I like the idea of money doubling. <laughs> so if you take the number 72 and you divide it by the interest rate that it earns, that's how many years it will take your money to double. Okay. So let's just kind of play a game with this. So let's just say in your first job, you accumulated $10,000 and we do the rule of 72. And in that, we find that maybe you're making a 10% interest rate. Now that's aggressive and that's high. I'm just using this as an example. Easy math. <laughs> yes, exactly. But if we take 72 divided by 10% interest, it means it would take 7.2 years for your money to double. All right, so your 10,000 in seven years could double to 20. In seven more years, double to 40. 
in seven more years, double to 80. And in seven more years, double to $160,000. Now, if you're kind of following along this investor journey and this really was your first job and you were in your early 20s with this, I just hate to tell you this, but you probably have a few more seven-year periods where this money can double. (laughs) But you got to give it that chance to do so. (laughs) Right. So even if you go seven more years out, that's $320,000 now that what you're thinking might not be that big of a deal because it's only $10,000. And if you cash it out, you'll get five. You know, the difference between that and the $360,000 maybe it could grow to in your lifetime, that's a big deal. Right. So if you look at it in that perspective, it's a little bit easier to say, absolutely, just stick with the discipline and roll it into the new IRA that you have. Yeah. So you can roll it into a new IRA or you can roll it into your new 401k or new job. Making good decisions when you change jobs about what to do with the old 401ks really is a key thing. All right. So you're on your way through this investor's journey. You're in settled into your new job. And guess what it is time for? Children. Babies. (laughs) Babies are expensive. They are expensive. (laughs) And children don't get any less expensive as they grow up, it seems. (laughs) And they don't just end at a certain point in your life. (laughs) Why no, they don't. My kids are 26, 24, and 19. And, you know, they kind of rotate as to who needs financial help at different times. (laughs) So even though they might be growing out of the house, you're still going to be putting money into them. It's still, they're still an investment. (laughs) That mama bear in me just says, yes, I'll help, you know, when they need help. But all right. So here's one of the things that you can think about when you start having your kids is what is their future going to look like? And what do you want to do to help them in their own financial journey? You know, when we look at the things that are out ahead of your own children, the biggest financial cost that they're probably going to face is the cost of a good education. Right. The college debt and even, um, you know, private schooling debt is Mm -hmm. very, very outrageous and it keeps growing up every single year. Now, Julie, your daughter just graduated from a private college, correct? Correct. Yep. Yep. She just graduated from private college and it was about 30,000 a year. 30,000 a year. So you think about that being the case now, and if we inflate that when your new baby's being born today, get to college in 18 years, <laughs> we're looking at a pretty hefty pay- paycheck to cover that. Right. And she might consider more schooling. <laughs> of course, grad school, right? <laughs> Which is great on one hand. <laughs> it's great because she's successful and she's doing what she wants. But on the other hand, it's just something you need to plan for. Exactly. And there are college plans that are out there that help you f- plan for the school, like 529 savings accounts that are going to help you put that money away, Mm -hmm. give you real tax benefits as well. Right. So when you start to have children, start to think about funding a good college plan for them. You're going to want to talk to a financial advisor about what the best way for you to do that is. And that is going to depend kind of on what your situation is and kind of what your outlook is in terms of school and also what your goals are for helping your kids. Right. And the beauty of some of these plans are that maybe if you have the three children and maybe one's not going to be going to school, the beauty is it can roll back to another child too. So, Right. Now, one of the things that I did with my kids, and and I've told this to a few people and it seems to kind of go over well, is I think that kids should have some skin in the game when it comes to college costs. Um, It's really easy to get distracted by beer and pizza and girls the or parties or things like that the party life the fun part of college <laughs> so what i've told my kids is that the first semester i'm happy to pay for but everything after that they have to work for their grades so we'll take loans out that are in their name and if they get an a 
I'll pay the loan back for that class. If they get a B, I'll pay back 50% of the loan and 50% of it's theirs to have to figure out how to pay for when they graduate. And if they get a C or below, if they choose to put in the effort and they're going to get average grades, then that loan is theirs. Right. I'm not going to be there to support financially an effort that is only getting to a C level. It's just kind of insurance for yourself and also mm-hmm. discipline for the children as well. Yeah. And I think that puts you both on the same page with the right agenda of, yes, we want you to get an education and we want to support that, but you have to put your own effort in and help support yourself with this too. Right. And it's good life skills for them too, because if yeah. they go out in life and they never paid a bill on their own and they all of a sudden have some debt out there or they want to get a loan, they have to understand how that works. All right, so we've gone through in the investor's journey, having your first real job, getting married, buying that first home, changing jobs, and now having children. Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. And today we're talking about the investor's journey. You know, when you get started, you're kind of building a foundation in your life with your money. As you're kind of going through your middle years, you're starting to use the money that you actually have built. And then as you start to reach the end of your life, really what people are thinking about is how do I make it last and how do I pass it down to the next generation? Right. So you built that nest egg and you've been successful in life and now you wanna, you're looking forward to the retirement stage and making sure that you're not going to have to go back to work in retirement. <laughs> so about this point in time, after maybe you've had a child or two, You start to think that your current house maybe isn't quite big enough. (laughs) Maybe time to upgrade a little bit. Exactly. So buying a second home is usually something that's happening at this point in somebody's life from a financial perspective. And what our advice is with that is it's a great idea to upgrade, but again, don't overextend yourself. Try to keep it within your means again. Exactly. We see a lot of people that will buy a house that is really kind of stretching their paycheck in terms of making the payment. And then they have trouble furnishing it the way they want to, so they go into some credit card debt to do that. That's a tough place to get out of. When you're utilizing credit cards to get through month by month, you really, that's really when you need to take a look at it that you're overspending. Yep. All right. So when you get kind of through that point, now you're probably ready to start paying for college for the kids. And when it comes to paying for college, here's the thing I want you to remember. You can get a loan for college but you cannot get a loan to retire on. So you have to make sure that your priorities are in order here and that you're saving for retirement first and not spending for college first. Right. So even though those are priorities and you think that's really important in life and you really want to get that college taken care of for your children, you still have to put yourself first. Yes. All right. So as we start to get into those years when our little loved ones are making their way through college, our focus often starts to shift to our own health. We start to get to the point where aches and pains are getting a little bit more and we've got this trouble or we've got that trouble. Right now I've got a pinched nerve in my neck. <laughs> Might be doctoring a little more, maybe time to get the glasses, just all kinds of things start creeping up on you. Right, so managing your health actually becomes part of your financial journey in some ways that you might not have thought of. So. Health insurance, of course, is something that's important and making sure you've got good health insurance so a medical event doesn't cause a devastating financial issue for you. Right. So a lot of times in your jobs, you have health insurance and health plans and um, insurance benefits for you, but you got to make sure that 
Sometimes if you have extra insurance on the sides that are going to help if something happens like your short-term disability or long-term disability, if your company doesn't apply for those. Exactly. And now this is the time in life when you hit about 50, somewhere between age 50 and 65 is really kind of the sweet spot to be thinking about the long-term care insurance type of planning too. So thinking ahead to what if you have a chronic health issue and what if you're going to need to be spending time in a nursing home or assisted living or maybe having home health care come in and help. So this is the time in life to start making decisions about how you want to handle that now so you're set up well for the future. This is usually a very emotional time for people and a very emotional topic. People either have, they have strong feelings on it, whether they're right. never going to get it or <laughs> they want to get it because they don't want to see themselves go through what they've seen loved ones maybe go through. Yep, exactly. Um, so w- along with those, part of an investor's journey, when you're thinking about your own long-term care planning, is about the time that if your parents are still living, you may be in a position where you have to start helping them. So helping your aging parents deal with their own financial and health issues happens to be a big part of people's lives when you get into this age group. Right, and it's something definitely to consider and not just to shove aside and keep putting off because Mary said the sweet spot is age 50 to 60 because that's the time when you want to start looking for insurance or insurance options Mm -hmm. because your health is usually better at that point. Yep. Obviously, the older you get, you're going to run into more health issues. Now, when you become a financial caregiver for your own aging parents, that comes with a lot of responsibilities. In fact, we've done other shows about what that means, and you can find them on our website at sterkfinancialservices.com if this is something that you're dealing with. But this is something that there are actually some very good steps you can take to familiarize yourself with your parents' financial situation and help them in the very best possible way to make sure that their road is as smooth as possible when they're at a point that they can no longer really handle these things. Right. And it's it's good to plan for that because a lot of times if they creep up on you, you're not, you know, you haven't planned or even mm-hmm. talked or discussed about it. It's a really hard topic. Okay. So now we get to talk about arguably what is my favorite topic in the investor's (laughs) journey, retirement. So the 10 years leading up to retirement really has the strongest pull in terms of getting yourself organized and looking ahead at what retirement is going to look like. But when you're actually ready to pull that retirement trigger, this is a huge transition point in life. And I just think it's so fun to actually see people go through the journey into retirement. Right. It's a great opportunity for us as, as planners to be able to sit down with someone and help them make sure they have the strategies and advice in place so that they know they can have a successful life in retirement. Now, of course, this is when you want to come see us. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. if you don't, you're kind of on your own. And there's so many moving parts that you really need to touch on and make sure that they're all coordinated together. Now, for those of you listening, you may not know this, but we actually have clients in most of the states in the United States, and we can work with people anywhere. And we do a lot of work with people at a distance through um, a video chat system that we have, and it works out just great. So if you're wondering where you are in your investor journey and you want to do some planning to figure out what your next steps are, don't hesitate to pick up the phone and give Julie a call, give me a call, give Kelsey a call, and we would love to just sit down and visit with you whether it's over a cup of coffee or through the computer (laughs) and help you with wherever you are in your journey right now. All right. So we've gone through the retirement part of this. And of course, there's lots of tips and tricks with retirement to help you get on your way with that. 
The main thing that I think, though, that you have to be aware of how to do for retirement is determine what is the best way to turn the wealth that you've built into income in the most effective way. Right. There's definitely strategies that are aligning with the money and the nest egg that you've built Mm -hmm. and how to use it is a key part. Right. So you have to be paying attention to the tax ramifications and you have to be looking at the amounts that you need and the longevity that you might be living and things like that. So there really is kind of an art to it. A lot of different investment vehicles that are out there that are going to determine what's going to make it last the longest too. Now, one part of retirement that often happens, usually within about 10 years of actually retiring, is that people start to downsize their home. So it's kind of funny, like this home has come up now three times from buying your first home to upgrading your second home and now to downsizing your home. You can really see how this is a journey through somebody's life. (laughs) (laughs) By the third time, you've really got it down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, probably so. (laughs) But you may be downsizing to like a home that's all on one level, or you may be downsizing into some type of retirement community or assisted living place or something like that. But downsizing is definitely a specific step in somebody's investor journey. That requires some forethought, but also is, again, tied to the finances as well as the quality of life that you want to have. Right. And a lot of times when you're downsizing, that creates, frees up some debt that you might have. Mm -hmm. And then it's also, again, some future planning opportunities. So sometimes the downsizing money is used to clear debt. Sometimes the downsizing money from your house is used to reinvest to make your income last longer. There's a lot of different things that might be done with that. Um, but it also might end up just being part of your estate planning. It could be a part of a legacy that you live to leave to the next generation. And that is really the last step of the investor's journey is the estate and legacy planning. Right. A lot of times people are, want to make sure that they've taken care of their children and they want to be able to leave a legacy for their family and their heirs. Now, a legacy can be financial, but it can also be emotional. And when you leave your legacy, you really want to think about what's the impact that you want to leave on the world and who is it that you want to impact. Some people do it through charitable giving. Some people do it through taking care of their family. Some people, it doesn't have anything to do with money, but it's making sure they pass along the values to those that they love. So a legacy can come in many shapes or forms. But the best advice that I can give you from an estate planning standpoint is make sure you have your legal ducks in a row. Right. It's always good to look at them and update them. Yes. Update them. Look at them. Make sure your beneficiary designations are in line. Make sure you have a will. And of course, we always recommend having a health care power of attorney and a financial power of attorney on file in case that's needed. And if you've got those things in place, you've probably got a pretty good handle on most of the estate planning. And if those things you're unsure of, you definitely want to give us a call. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) All right. So that takes you from your first real job all the way to estate planning, which is the investor's journey. And we hope that this has given you some valuable tips and tidbits to think about as you go through your own journey. Thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stern. Views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations.
situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Insurance offered through Sterk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial. Sterk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dune, South Dakota 57049, and can be reached at 605-217-3555.